0: You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of the well-known personalities in UFO and paranormal fields are involved in lecture tours. And sometimes they do that just to meet people, maybe sell a few books, maybe make a few dollars. But I should point out that very, very few people in the UFO field make money. Now, years ago, years ago, Jim Mosley got on the lecture circuit, and I think in part he was undercutting the late major Donald Kehoe. He said, I can go on there and give you a perfectly entertaining UFO lecture, and I'll charge less than he did. And a couple of times I went on those lectures when Jim didn't want to accept the amount of money they offered. It was pretty good, you know. You get your plane fare paid, you make 500 or or $1,000 for a lecture tour. This is not like a famous politician getting, you know, half a million. He made clicks.
2: 500 bucks 40 years
3: ago?
1: Yeah. He, wow. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, boy. We are in the wrong business. I don't do lectures yeah, now. You know, I'm not a lecturer. I do very good radio, but I do not do lectures. On the other hand, over the years, I think Jim finally gave it up when he got into his senior years, and he stopped doing it. I never pursue the lecture circuit. I know Stanton Friedman does a lot of that. You do it occasionally, and as a matter of fact, this month, and we're in January of 2012, in case you're listening to the show later on, you are going to do a few. Can you tell us more? Well, I've
2: been invited out to uh, California to do a sweep through the state, and uh, this will be my third time back there uh, in, geez, 14 years. Uh, <laughs> I go about every five years, it seems. And um, I'm going to be up in San uh, Jose on January 15th. And then the 17th and 18th, I'll be in the L.A. area at uh, L.A. MUFON and also Orange County MUFON. And I was invited out. I was out there last uh, summer for the International Symposium. And one of the people there who I talked to books their their tours through the state. So I I was asked to uh, come out. Um, I'm doing something a little different. I do have quite a number of presentations. I, I think about six now. And... I'm going to be looking at the and really analyzing the pop culture connections between the UFO phenomenon and attendant phenomenon like uh, abductions, crop circles, cattle mutilations, religious miracles, and looking at the whole concept of the media and how the media formulates and kind of creates belief systems within the culture. And it's going to be fun, freewheeling. I've got over 350 images in my presentation. Uh, I kind of work on my stand-up routine beforehand and. Crack some jokes, keep it light, keep it entertaining, thoughtful, and creative. I tell people when I get up there that if a quarter of you don't walk out pissed off at me, I haven't done my job. So that's kind of my, <laughs> my modus operandi in these things. Of course, you know,
1: being the trickster,
2: you got to come up with some out-of-the-box thinking to make people scratch their heads a little. So
1: basically you have to pull a few tricks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you well, don't pull the
2: tricks, there's no fun. Well, remember what I, when I tried to, to tell one of my jokes to Kevin Randall? He wasn't quite, he wasn't amused in one of my first uh, appearances here at the Paracast as a host. I asked, hey, have you heard about the new, uh, the new Dream Team, the Roswell Dream Team?
1: I don't remember this. Maybe it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Would you tell me more?
2: I can't Randall it. It's full of Schmidt. The sounds
1: of silence, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. There are people out there who say I tell bad jokes. And my response is, I resemble that remark, but actually, I don't tell jokes. What I do is tell silly, disc jockey, you know, puns—that kind of thing. But that's as much as I do. So the people who say I tell bad jokes—I don't. Don't think I ever told more than one or two jokes on this show since two thousand six. That's a bad rap, and I don't even rap. That would be pretty bad too. Imagine me. Oh, doing don't, a rap don't song. go there, please, Gene. I'm not going. I feel gone. Okay, so. Once again, if people want to learn more about your public appearances, do the organizations that sponsor them present this, or do you have it on your site or what? Yeah, California MUFON,
2: L.A. MUFON, Orange County MUFON. I'm not sure what they call the other uh, chapter up there. It's uh, the chapter up in San Jose. They have announcements on their sites. We have an announcement on the Paracast, and if you go to my website, there will be one up shortly.
1: Well, we look forward to seeing that. By the way, we're trying, really trying to update... Chris's site, OurStrangePlanet.com, and most of it has been that the person who volunteered to do it has been occupied with other pursuits, starting a new business, the holidays, the family, and everything. And he keeps saying he'll get to it. And I keep looking at better ways to present your site, so it's going to be updated soon. In the meantime, you know, check it out, OurStrangePlanet.com, and we'll see. Speaking of strange things, before we get into our special guest this week, and that's Nick Redfern, he's author of a new book called Keep Out, about top secret places governments don't want you to know about. Chris, have you ever been to any of these top secret places? Well, <laughs> I've been near a few, but of course, I've never
2: actually been to them. Uh, I've been on the infamous mailbox road, Area area 51. Uh, I've been around the uh, Skunk Works uh, site, and back east, I've been near some of the continuation of government facilities. Um, I've scouted out potential locations for underground facilities in the San Luis Valley and around the New Mexico-Colorado border area. Of course, I've done extensive exploration around the Archuleta Mesa region, uh, just north of the town of Dulce, and... You know, I've done, I've done quite a bit of tramping around. Uh, of course, I've been a real fan of Richard Sauter's work, Underground Bases and Tunnels, What is the Government Trying to Hide? We know of 129 underground, uh, extensive underground facilities that are part of the public record, and that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. So we're going to have fun with Nick today.
1: Oh, yeah, this is going to be very interesting. Now, I've never gone to any secret places, but I know that one of the things we're going to want to explore as we progress And it's not a large part of the book. I understand he covers a lot of supposedly secret places there, and I want to get more into the London Underground and the London Subway. Although I have to wonder about the New York Subway. Speaking of secret places, you have to think the New York Subway. Before we go anywhere else, the New York Subway was first built in the 19th century, okay? That's when it was first assembled. And you have to think with all those snaking tunnels, and it's one of the largest subway systems in the world, what lurks down there? You see all the horror movies about strange creatures and things lurking in the subways. There's a whole, there's a whole
2: kind of a subculture that lives in the, uh, the New York subways. There's a lot of homeless people that have turned, uh, abandoned, let's say, spurs that have been closed off by, you know, by the uh, MTA. They've turned them into um, kind of squatters uh, locations, for, and people actually live down there.
1: You have to think, also, it's a pretty filthy place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all the vermin, all that stuff that's going on down there. I'm not thinking about snakes and strange creatures. But you have to wonder what can fester there. And later on, we're going to ask Nick about London and the London subways. I've never taken them. The other subways I've taken, well, Chicago, which are kind of similar to New York. Also, BART which is the Bay Area transit system, which is in San Francisco and around San Francisco, but that's pretty new, you know? So there's not enough years for strange creatures and filth to fester there.
2: (laughs) Give it time, Gene.
1: It always gets there. You always have to wonder, though. You get the impression when you're riding those things that, you know, there's a cleanliness issue that isn't being dealt with. You know, it's kind of left kind of the second shrift. I know there are a lot of dedicated people who work for these transit systems. In fact, my late father worked on the New York City transit system, mostly on the surface transit, which is the buses. But you always felt, you know, that you were treated as if, well, you have to ride a subway. Why can't you have a car? Of course, in New York, it's not like that. In New York, of course, lots of people take public transportation. But you get to a lot of other places. Sometimes it's the second shrift. It's a second choice. It's the one for people who don't have cars. And you wonder if you don't have enough traffic, strange things might happen, weird things. that might be happening below the surface of the planet, not necessarily Dero's and tiro's, okay? Yeah. Not necessarily caves or the vast cave systems, but lots of stuff going on. The book from Nick Redfern is called Keep Out. And he's coming up next with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online Awaits.
4: Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, subscribe now at com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's eight seven seven four seven nine eight one seven eight. 479 8178
5: Sure, there are winter specials and then there are super winter specials at herbalhealer.com battle through this cold and flu season with powerful natural and safe flu fighters like elderberry power origacillin olive leaf capsules grapefruit seed extract and resper 8 all specially priced during the winter sale at herbalhealer.com don't forget vitamin d3 this winter right now herbalhealer.com has 120 soft gels 1000 ius sale priced at only nine dollars we also have a super For winter special on six homeopathic liquid detoxes, whole body detox, liver detox, kidney detox, lymph detox, brain detox, and lung detox. All liquid detoxes, regularly $26.95, are now just $20. HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on now and save big when you hit the winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988.
6: If you don't want to be unprepared, be prepared.com BePrepared.com is the official site of Emergency Essentials, the 24-year leader in emergency preparedness. Why do they lead? Because of best value, best selection, and their low price guarantee. Take advantage of BePrepared.com's inventory reduction sale going on right now. Save up to 43% on food storage and emergency supplies. Up to 43%. For example, be prepared with freeze-dried peaches and strawberries, freeze-dried roast beef, 182-piece first aid kits, 9-meal MRE kits, a waterproof multifunction emergency LED flashlight for only three ninety nine dollars and much more. BePrepared.com. All supplies last, but hurry, sale ends when inventory's gone. Call 800-999-1863. That's 800-999-1863 or online at BePrepared.com. BePrepared.com. Best value, best selection and low price guarantee. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about The Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download, direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at
1: iTunes. iTunes.
7: This is the Redfern abode.
1: Is this in the underground in London?
7: Well, kind of, semi.
1: What does kind of semi mean? You mean you're half there and half not?
7: It means I'm ethereal.
1: Oh, boy. We have the ethereal Nick Redfern. (laughs) (laughs) With Gene and Chris in the Paracast. Welcome back. Hey, guys. How's it going? Oh, it's going nicely. We're starting off a new year with you. And the question I have is is it true that we bring you on just for the laughter that great laugh
7: well i forgot about that actually yeah i guess i can do a few of those throughout the show so
1: okay we'll give you a chance okay the book All is right. called keep out now what inspired you to seek the places around the world that governments don't want you to visit
7: um, there's a couple of things, really. I mean, one of the things I would sort of point out to people is that the book isn't a study of, like, secret locations per se or period. It's ones that specifically have a link to UFOs, paranormal, or supernatural. So, in other words, you know, there are chapters on things like Area 51 and Hangar 18, but there aren't chapters on some vaults under the Pentagon or whatever. You know, I don't get involved in sort of political conspiracies, so it's just bases where people have made allegations about aliens and so forth. Uh, and with that said, I mean, one of the reasons why I sort of wanted to write the book is because, you know, everybody when it comes to secret bases and UFOs talks about Area 51. You know, that's the one that's become sort of ingrained in not just the UFO field, but popular culture as well. I guess within ufology, you know, it's sort of little brother is Hangar 18, or the stories of Hangar 18 at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. You know, they're, they're actually, all around the world, a lot of secret installations or off-limits installations is probably a better way of terming it with links to ufos you know military people coming forward and i thought well you know why not try instead of just going over just area 51 etc etc why not bring forward some of these other stories about additional locations and facilities and, you know, demonstrate to people that the story of off-limits places with links to UFOs doesn't begin and end with Area 51.
1: Okay, looking though at the Area 51 specifically, Mm -hmm. just for a short period of time, how then did this gain such attention Mm -hmm. as being the place to go for unusual goings-on?
7: Well, I mean, although Area 51, as a location, if you like, you know, has been around for decades, you know, I mean, literally decades, the issue of its sort of relationship to UFOs in in terms of its lifespan is actually sort of a a relatively recent one. Area 51 is actually just sort of one of a number of areas on what's called the Nevada Test and Training Range in the state of Nevada, which actually extends to more than 4,500 square miles. So it's like a huge area and area 51 as i said is just part of it back in certainly in the 50s we know that you know things like spy planes were tested from there the u2 and the and later on the blackbird the sr-71 stealth technology was also experimented with and tested there Um, So, in other words, the base has been an active location for decades, but it was pretty much under the radar, not just because of the secrecy, but simply because there was nothing that really captured anybody's imagination, you know, beyond the fact that unless you're an aviation spotter, you know, one of these people who goes out looking for planes or whatever. And it really was only in sort of the latter part of the 1980s that it sort of came to the fore with Bob Lazar's revelations about working at a, An aspect of Area 51 called S4. And of course, you know, Lazar's story still exists and is circulated to this day, and there are many people who think he's, you know, an outright fraud, accepts his story, you know, of alien craft being back-engineered at the base, and In between those people, you know, there are other people who take the view that maybe Lazar was was fed disinformation, but he did work there, but he was fed disinformation to hide the fact that maybe some of these UFOs are actually secret military aircraft, and, you know, the government was happy to sort of perpetuate a UFO myth to hide some sort of deeper uh, military program. So, in other words, I think the fact that, you know, we're still discussing Lazar. 23, 24 years after he first surfaced, almost a quarter of a century, is a testament to the fact that we really don't have a clear picture of what goes on there. You know, if we did, we would have all the answers. So I think that the Lazar story on its own demonstrates the secrecy, secrecy surrounding Area 51, simply because, we you know, we haven't been able to resolve the mystery.
1: Well, that's a good question, too, with Lazar. How much evidence has he produced that he's actually ever been down there? What, he got one stub of a paycheck that maybe he worked three or four hours somewhere?
7: Well, you know, I mean, this is the thing about Lazar that a lot of people kind of find intriguing and fascinating is that, you know, on the one hand, he doesn't come across like a, a normal hoaxer. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, I mean, I've spoken to enough people within the UFO field that, Whereas most people, I think, you know, are honest and earnest, et cetera, et cetera. Hoaxes, particularly people who hoax... UFO encounters, you often find the story gets embroidered upon and added to over time and when a problem surfaces You know they explain it away by adding something else. You know kind of like the Georgia Adamski's etc. Where you know there's a new layer added to it every time somebody questions something. Lazar's story regardless of what people say about it Actually hasn't changed at all. You know he just said well this is what happened and when people said well how about this He said well, I don't know. So in that sense he doesn't come across like someone who's constantly adding to his story or embroidering on it, you know, every two minutes, so to speak. Lazar does actually have an interesting background. There's absolutely no doubt about that. For example, he was the the subject of a front page article in nineteen eighty two in the New Mexico-based Los Alamos monitor newspaper. What's interesting is that he's identified in the newspaper back in 82 as working at Los Alamos's Meson physics facility, which is today called the Los Alamos Neutron Science Center, where a lot of sort of cutting-edge research into particle physics is undertaken. That's a provable fact that he did work there, and he also, you know, his number turns up in the Los Alamos phone book. The official phone book now again that's not you know hearsay, rumor that that's facts. you know if you can find a Los Alamos 1982 phone book you'll see Lazar in there that in itself is interesting now another thing that kind of keeps the door open a little bit is that Lazar said that one of the people who was sort of instrumental in getting him an interview to work at Area 51 was Edward Teller who he bumped into at a, a lecture in the early 1980s at Los Alamos now, if someone like Teller, of his sort of um, standing and, you know, historical position in, you know, the, the world, etc., in the, in the U.S. government and, you know, the, the history of it, you know, somebody approached him and said, you know, this guy named Bob Lazar is telling this story about how you arranged for him to have an interview, and that ultimately led him to working on alien spacecraft at Area 51, you would imagine that Teller would not just say no, you would imagine that Teller would simply say, you know, that's complete nonsense. Um, I didn't give him any sort of uh, window, if you like, to an interview at Area 51 at all. Um, But that isn't what happened. Instead, what did happen is that when he was put on the spot by a TV journalist, teller absolutely squirmed and tried to work his way out of even answering any questions about lazar and just basically said something along the lines of well maybe i met him and if i did meet him and i, I thought i liked him maybe i referred him to somebody else but i don't remember that you was know, pretty
1: he's, he's weird like, yeah but well, before we get more weird if you have a comment or question about the show write us news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com the book is Keep Out by Nick Redfern with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
8: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade.
1: We are the GCN Radio Network. When it comes to running a successful business, there are many things you have to get right. But one thing is often overlooked, and that's protecting the data that powers your business. Computers, servers, external hard drives, and even tape backups are vulnerable to failure. In the U.S. alone, over 140,000 hard drives fail each and every week. According to one study, only 7% of companies that lose their data centers for 10 days or more survive beyond the year. So I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey. The most trusted name in online backup. Give our friends at Mosey a call. They've been doing this for a long time and run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you could save 15% by using the promo code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. Call 877-669-9776. That's 877-669-9776. Or visit MoseyPro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y-Pro.com.
4: Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a 2-week free trial and a lifetime warranty.
9: Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. <laughs> Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com.
10: Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has as the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic All C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol so boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract ali C for more information and to order Alley C call 87-88-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com that's 1-87-88-7126. or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Alley C today Long
4: Range Patrol Ration Entrees. If you know survival, you know LRPs are the undisputed king of military rations. Hands down the best for your bug out bag or survival pack. To go farther, faster, and carry more food, there's nothing better than a Brick Pack LRP cold weather ration entree. Nothing. Now, the Freeze-Dry Guy is offering a limited-time deal on thousands of fresh LRP entrees. We're talking a menu of tasty and nutritious beef stew, chicken and rice, chili mac with beef, spaghetti and meat sauce with 20 entrees per case. These fresh 2011 LRPs are U.S. government contract overruns, perfect for long-term storage. But they're going fast at Freezedryguy.com. Far superior to MREs, long-range patrol entrees are about a third the weight of an MRE, with about a third more meat than the finest commercial freeze-dried entrees. Ask about multi-case discounts and free shipping when you call 866-404-3663 today that's 866-404-3663 or freeze guy.com your source for survival food in an uncertain world
11: hi this is don ecker and you are tuned into the paracast let me tell you what you're gonna hear stuff here that you probably
1: won't hear anywhere else hear that george snorey with Gene and Chris, you're in the PowerCast talking to Nick Redfern. The book is called Keep Out. We're talking about Bob Lazar and Dr. Teller basically squirming his way out of it. And I remember the passage in the book. And I agree with you. That's kind of weird.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this is the thing about Lazar is that everything about it is weird. There's nothing black and white. I mean, Stan Friedman made a famous statement. He said, you know, this is just bunk, bunk, bunk." <laughs> that was Stan's uh, words on the matter. But on the other hand, you know, people say, well, Lazar was this sort of kind of alternative, unusual guy. You know, he had a finger in a lot of different pies and he worked on sort of futuristic jet cars and all sorts of different things. <laughs> yeah. Now. Yeah,
2: in whorehouse things- surveillance systems.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And, you know. In but-
2: rocket powered cars.
7: Rocket powered cars, that's right. And, you know, my view, and this is actually being brought up, is that if you have. You know, if you're in charge of some sort of super-secret program to back-engineer crashed UFOs or recovered UFOs or donated UFOs, who knows how they got there, if they're there. But if you're working on that program and you want to maintain the secrecy, you don't get people in on the project who are some of the most famous people, you know, in the scientific world who might possibly want to blow the whistle as a means to, you know, give themselves a place in, in historical legend for the next you know, 2,000 years or whatever, what do you do instead? Well, maybe you hire maverick people who, on the one hand, uh, like a lot of people, very brilliant but equally very alternative. And also you hire someone who maybe has a history and a background, but if you need to discredit him, it can be easily done.
1: Well, that's the thing about his background, which is very important, claiming that he has certain levels of education. But it's kind of like the situation we ran into with Phil Imbrogno not mm. too long ago, where you try to track down the person's educational credentials yeah. and you fall short. Yeah, can you be specific about this, just so our listeners understand my context?
7: Yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of research has been done, you know, into not just Lazar's story, but precisely who um, Lazar is, you know, and where he came from, et cetera. Now, we know several things without, without beyond any shadow of doubt. One, he was born in 59 in Florida. And he attended the uh, Los Angeles-based Pierce College in the 70s, where he took courses in electronics. And he spent some time employed with Fairchild, a company founded in 59 by the um, co-inventor of the transistor, William Shockley. Now, Lazar claimed and and still continues to uh, claim that he received an MS in electronics from Caltech and an MS in physics from MIT. Now, that's Those two latter points, that's never been proved. You know, that's one of the big sort of sticky areas, if you like. But it's, I won't say it's overrided, but it's compounded by the fact that we can prove he worked in a very responsible and intriguing position at Los Alamos in the early 80s. So, you know, if he didn't get the MS and, or the two MSs, one in electronics and one in physics, something opened the door for him to work at Los Alamos. Well, is it possible he
1: did what some people do which is he falsified his credentials to get there. And once they realized it, they just said goodbye.
7: Well, I mean, uh, that's not impossible. I I have no evidence of that. But I mean, you know, he wasn't fired from Los Alamos. You know, he talks about being fired from Area 51 and basically slung out. But, you know, he just moved on to different things after working at, at Los Alamos. But the fact is, you know, we can prove that he worked there. So, in other words, if the only thing he did achieve was a course in electronics at Pierce College, it kind of sounds strange that he would be working at the, basically, you know, the elite of Los Alamos only a couple of years later. So, I think, you know, there are certain parts of Lazar's story that are still sort of shrouded in in mystery. But there are problems, you know, I don't deny that. And the educational background one where, you know, people have said, oh, well, the government's trying to uh, just wipe out his history. You know, that's okay for a conspiracy thriller, but if you were to look into it, you know, there there should be people who took uh, classes with him that might remember him, or there should be at least some paper trail. You know, the idea that the government would go into MIT and possibly remove every scrap of paper and and the story of that removal never ever surfacing from anyone kind of sounds a little bit over the top to me.
1: It sounds like K in the movie Men in Black, where the Will Smith yeah, character right. had his entire life history erased yeah. to become one of the Men yeah, in Black.
7: And I, I don't think that's feasible to, to completely do that. But what I would say, you know, the fact that we have these other factors coming into play leaves the door open for me. You know, I, I find it difficult when it comes to Lazar to be, black and white, because there's actually nothing black and white about his story. It's, um, it's a shade of grey. I think we're going to have to get
1: him on the show one day, don't you think so, Chris? Yeah, yeah
2: I think it would be great. One thing I, I, I want to say here is that respect George Knapp as, as being one of our top investigative journalists in the field and a long-time uh, award-winning broadcaster and, and reporter and journalist for uh, KSLB, I think, or uh, KSAB, I think it's the NBC affiliate uh, in Las Vegas. The very fact that George Knapp was the one that broke the Bob Lazar story, I think, uh, carries a lot of weight in my book. Because George, I know, dots his I's and crosses his T's. And and if he was convinced that Lazar's story was real and was willing to come out and expose this story, then uh, I think there was enough there to at least prove to Knapp that that Lazar was legitimate.
7: Yeah, I, I think Lazar was legitimate in the sense that for a period of time he was out there. I do actually believe that. Now, the big question is, you know, the nature of what he actually saw. You know, by Lazar's own admission, he said that the staff there played, you know, all sorts of weird mind games on the people working there. And some of these kind of, you know, exposing him to the, not just the craft. You know, if you're working on craft... Uh, of, of some sort of advanced technology, and you know, you've been asked to work on the program and understand it and kind of improve it, so to speak. You know, that's one thing, but Lazar said he was also provided with masses of material on back uh, documentation, sort of classified documentation on super secret UFO programs and the history of an alien presence on Earth that was tied in re- with religion and all sorts of things. Now, you know, I-, I could be entirely wrong, but for me, you know, if you're going to be working on a a classified program, do you really need to be briefed on the intricacies of the entire alien presence? Maybe you do, but maybe you don't.
2: You would think it would be more compartmentalized.
7: Yeah, but you could make the argument that maybe you was shown those documents to reinforce the idea that the craft that were held there were alien, when maybe they weren't. You know, I mean, one of the things that we do know is that in the exact same time frame that Lazar was at Area 51, and official files that have surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act actually reflect this. Both the CIA and the Air Force's OSI, the Office of Special Investigations, were deeply worried that certain UFO researchers in the U.S. had been targeted by the Russians to um, unwittingly sort of uncover classified information on super-secret aircraft programs, but using their sort of UFO research to do so, sort of like a dangling carrot where the Russians would say, you know, go and look for some sort of latest stealth news and we'll give you a few tidbits of the KGB's UFO secrets, you know, which were themselves might be even fabricated. So in other words, we know that this was going on, that the Russians were trying to penetrate U.S. military aircraft programs, and in some cases were trying to use UFO researchers to do so in the time frame when Lazar said UFOs were Area 51. So one of the things I point out in the book maybe. You know, Lazar was sort of like the biggest patsy since Lee Harvey Oswald and genuinely believed the things he saw at Area 51 were alien. But, you know, let's take the hypothesis maybe that when he was there, he saw the craft and then went public, started talking about it. And all that Area 51 security people have to do is wait for some guy like named Boris or Ivan to start wandering around the base or asking questions in Las Vegas, you know, which isn't a million miles away and then move in and, and arrest them. And at the end of the day, they've arrested a spy who was sort of drawn into the web of looking for classified military programs by a UFO smokescreen. And more importantly, no real secrets have actually been revealed. You know, it's, everything's been hidden under this UFO banner, and Ivan and Boris are safely behind bars somewhere.
2: So <laughs> you're saying that there's a real good possibility this could have actually been a very uh... – a very elaborate and well thought-out counterintelligence uh, yes. agenda.
7: Yes, but that doesn't—you know—that doesn't take away the possibility that you know that it, uh, parts of the story could be utterly real. I'll
1: I tell I you what, we have other agendas drive. we have to follow. With Jean and Chris, you're in the Paracast. <laughs>
9: <laughs>
1: One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official PowerCast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the PowerCast logo at the official PowerCast store. It's all now available at the official PowerCast store, store store.thepowercast.com.
12: Listeners, it's Jason Lewis, and now that the holidays have come and gone, it's time to get serious about our New Year's resolutions. For 2012, resolve to protect your most valuable asset, your family. Daily, we hear about all the crazy stuff happening around the world, unemployment, food shortages, natural disasters, just to name a few. For my preparation, I recommend WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff, that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. Visit WiseFoodStorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's WiseFoodStorage.com or call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 and enter promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Peace of mind, the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love. That's what it sounds like when a
9: burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com. Or call one 5 fake tv Each additional fake TV is only $29.95, so get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to FAKE-TV.com. FAKE-TV.com, the burglar deterrent.
13: Ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 19.95. American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 28.95. Solar lanterns from 22.95. Solar flashlights, two for 16.95. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from 8.95. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spell the number 2, the number one, S-T, CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com, or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422, 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival.
7: Seven, the author of UFO mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. I guess I wasn't too bad. It's the first time I've practiced it since I was last on the show. So I don't, I don't actually sit at home doing that every time, every ten minutes.
1: That's <laughs> the secret of the great laugh from Nick Redfern, author of "Keep Out," and the expert, the one who creates laughter for the Paracast with Gene and Chris. Just before we go away from Bob Lazar and conspiracies in Area 51. There's a story I read, and this, I guess, will be the last thing we talk about Area 51. It's from Lee Spiegel over at the Huffington Post. And I'll quote the headline, Area 51 personnel feel betrayed by Annie Jacobson's Soviet Nazi UFO connection. That's part of her Area 51 book, you know, where the book itself was just coverage of what Area 51 is and what's going on. But she had to get a UFO, Roswell, yeah. Nazi connection. What's your take on that?
7: Well, yeah, I mean, th- this is a really weird story. And what's ironic is that, you know, when, when Anna Jacobson's book came out, you know, it was the, the, the Area 51 in with Roswell that really caught the media's attention. You know, they, I won't say they, have, they didn't talk about the rest of the book, you know, to a degree they did, but, you know, it seems that the Roswell thing was the one more than any other that really got people's attention. Now, you know, there have been a lot of different theories put forward for Roswell. I would have to say that this one, without doubt, is the most controversial because it, to me, just doesn't hang together. And I'll tell you why. You know, in her story, the idea was that the Russians basically were behind Roswell. And it was some sort of like a War of the Worlds type hoax where they would stage like a UFO landing in the U.S., um, you know, with aliens, you know, coming out of the craft and basically, you know, send America into a state of panic that the aliens had arrived and a UFO invasion was beginning. You know, that the idea and the scenario of, of fabricating an alien attack to sort of, you know, to, to create fear or to instill a new world order, you know, is kind of an intriguing and an interesting one. But, you know, the, the story that was Annie Jacobson was told is very, very different. She was told that Starling... Joseph Stalin, the Soviet premier at the time, was in cahoots with Joseph Mengele, the um, infamous Nazi doctor who did all sorts of, you know, sort of terrible medical experiments on people and very often on children as well. And the story was that Mengele sort of mutated, it's probably the best way to describe it, a number of young children, and the idea was that they were loaded into an aircraft based on the designs of the Horton brothers who built these sort of swept wing glider-type aircraft back in the, uh, in the 40s for the, for the Nazis. Um, and the idea was that the craft was flown to the United States and it would land in a populated area and, you know, these deformed, mutated children would get out and people would believe aliens had landed. The story is made bizarre for several reasons. One, Mengele, you know, we know had fled to South America. You know, he, he wasn't in Russia. He wasn't even in Germany um, in '47. The other thing is that, again, through the Freedom of Information Act, we have literally hundreds and hundreds of pages of files from the mid-40s onwards from the U.S. Air Force and the Army where they've been analysing um, captured Horton brother aircraft and, you know, analysing the data and photographs. So, in other words, it would take nobody any time at all to realise that this was one of the Horton brothers' craft that it wasn't an alien spacecraft. You know, the idea of it landing in the U.S. an aircraft would it need tires. You know, it would take no dif- no time at all to realize that this is just made purely terrestrial materials. And also, you know, I, I question the idea of whether people could be biologically mutated back in the 1940s to any extent to where, you know, not only would they look alien, but they would actually be able to sort of live and exist and, you know, move around, et cetera, you know. So I think, again, I speculate and wonder if somebody on the inside was concerned that Jacobson was writing a book about Area 51 that would be a big expose, so what do we do? Well, let's try and discredit it by putting out a really outrageous story that's going to basically get everybody's attention, but by default make it just another UFO book rather than, as some people may have worried, a definitive study of Area 51.
1: Well, at this point, do we think that maybe Annie Jacobson was thrown this line of stuff just to make the book gain more attention?
7: Um, It may have been to gain more attention, but I don't think from the perspective of selling copies, I think it may be that people on the inside may have been anticipating and hoping that the response would be exactly what I've just said about how the story... You know of Mengelage and and Stalin just doesn't work, you know it just it is not credible. So maybe the hope was that by pointing that out, then that will by default make people question the rest of the book. You know, if they couldn't stop the publication of the book, well, you know, let's put something in there that's going to like a she's going to accept and publish, and then you know over time it'll come to discredit the rest of the book, which you know, actually does contain a lot of good information.
1: So that takes us from Area 51 to the next topic. And Chris and I were joking before you came on about subway systems around the world, these mm. underground labyrinths mm. of unknown happenings. I was thinking about New York. I grew up in New York. I lived virtually on the subways when I wanted to skip class. I'd just go on a subway ride, you know. i go from mm. one end of New York City to the other. Now you know my secrets, ladies and gentlemen. But you're talking mostly about, I guess, a system that's pretty old itself, the underground or subway system in London. Tell us more about Mm -hmm. it.
7: Well, yeah, I mean, the the London Underground, you know, is is the one sort of mode of transport that pretty much everybody uses in London, you know, sort of driving around London's pointless. You know, you're never going to get anywhere because there's that much congestion. So everybody just uses the tube and, um, you know, there's a whole range of lines and tunnels, etc. A lot of people don't realize that the London Underground, which actually uh, was first opened in 1863, is basically, although it's, you know, it's like an open uh, tube system full of trains, etc., it has a lot of secrecy attached to it. For example, during the Second World War, uh, when the Nazis were sort of on a nightly basis bombing London during what was called the Blitz, um, people who were living in London, you know, when the sirens would go off, um, everybody would head down to the the tubes, to the tunnels, because they were very deep underground. And, you know, they gave a lot of protection from Hitler's bombings every night. And, you know, this, this was sort of like um, a plan that the government itself, the British government organized, you know, for where the tracks would be closed and people could bring, like, sleeping bags and pillows down, you know, and just sort of sleep through or survive, at least, the nightly blitzes and, um, you know, get some sort of protection. We also know that also during the Second World War that uh, the prime minister at the time, Winston Churchill, he used what was called the Down Street Station, uh, where he had a secret office deep underground, again, to sort of survive these nightly attacks from the Germans. So in other words, you know, what seems like an innocuous, normal tunnel system for trains, etc., is actually something quite different. Now, there are also a lot of other weird stories, um, not just of a UFO nature, but more of like a Fortean nature as well, coming from the London Underground. There's a, a long-standing story about some sort of deep underground chamber where supposedly a crashed UFO and alien bodies are held. Now, even I admit, some of these stories, you know, they're kind of friend of a friend-like and they're sort of the classic Hangar 18 type things where somebody goes through a wrong doorway and, you know, goes to an off-limits area and sees these weird little bodies in frozen cryogenic storage. So, but the stories do exist. There are even weirder ones than that where people have said that, you know, they saw sort of spectral, almost, bigfoot type creatures deep in the tunnel sort of spectrally coming through the old walls and things like this and um you know it's difficult to sort of reconcile these stories you know i write a lot about cryptozoology as well and some of these stories fit more into that category than ufology or anything conspiratorial
1: so do we assume so- like a place like the london underground has dimensional portals perhaps
7: well, you know, I mean, that's getting into sort of another realm, but I mean, you know, when you've got sort of four or five different issues all focused on this one location, you know, you do sort of have to question whether or not there's something more significant about it. You know, people talk about sort of portals and doorways and, you know, different parts of the world. I mean, it's difficult to know, you know, London's an ancient city, you know, it's it's found in fathers sort of go back, you know, to the Roman times even, um... So, you know, in that respect, who knows what sort of secrets exist under London, but it, but it is intriguing, you know, the more you dig into the stories of the London Underground, you find tales of closed down uh, tunnels and stations, you know, that are now off limits, um, where over the years, you know, the, the tunnels have gone in different directions, and the old tunnels just remain closed to the public, and you know, there's bunk, there are bunkers under there for the government and, you know, all these stories about weird... There's a lot of weird stories about big cats um, being seen in the London underground, kind of similar to the alligators in the sewer stories from New York. And again, you know, it's kind of like, where does the legend begin and the, and the facts end, so to speak? We'll get into um,
1: that in a moment, but I guess the big question would be here, any time you have this network of underground tunnels or caverns, mm-hmm. Weird stuff's going to be down there, inevitable. With Nick Red for an offer of keep out, you're with Gene and Chris because you're in the Paracast. Ho ho. The GCN
8: Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
3: Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane
1: Steinberg. Leftover from Christmas, Christmas cheer from Nick Redfern, <laughs> author of Keep Out, top secret places governments don't want you to know about. And we're focusing on the London Underground. Of course, you have those great classic subways over there. Mysterious Cats, tell us more.
7: Well, yeah, I mean, one of the people I interviewed for the book was a woman who, back in the 1950s, late one night, was standing on one of the, uh, the platforms and, you know, bear in mind there are you know, literally dozens and dozens of platforms all across the underground nobody else there at the time and she said she saw this which basically she described as uh, a large black panther which is sort of a misnomer it's, they're basically melanistic big cats lacking in pigment uh, there actually isn't a, a creature called a black panther it's just a, like a popular culture term but anyway she saw this large black cat which she said was sort of prowling along the tracks and basically gave the sort of this weirdly intent glare as if it was almost sort of born into a soul. You know, it's a very very strange experience, almost like a paranormal experience than just seeing, you know, an exotic large cat that had escaped from a zoo or something like that. And it was sort of taken to a, a weirder level where she claimed that a few days later somebody knocked on the front door claiming to be from the government, and suggested to her it would be a good idea if she didn't talk about this, which, again, has sort of classic men-in-black overtones to it, although she said there was no threat and she said that the guy and her actually sat by the fireplace drinking tea as he told her not to talk about this, but in kind of friendly tones. But it does have that MIB flavor to it. And um, there are actually several reports like this, particularly from some of the deeper tunnels of people seeing what they describe as Like large black cats, larger than a house cat, obviously, and bordering on like an exotic cat. And who knows, you know, maybe some of these, Britain has a lot of reports every year of large black cats on the loose. Who knows, maybe deep in some of the lower levels, you know, some of these animals have bred and thrived and, you know, surviving on whatever's down there, whether it's sort of discarded burgers or the occasional hobo, who knows?
1: Well, you know, it's very interesting here, when you get a place like that, underground not access to every nook and cranny isn't it basically part of the problem that you're going to have strange animals and stuff like that they're just going to get down there and find it comfortable
7: well yeah i I mean I, i think that's very true and i think you know the important thing to note is that you know the london underground affords a lot of cover protection darkness safety for any sort of predator that might want to live there but more importantly You know, because there's a lot of people down there. As I said, there's there's food being thrown around all over the place. You know, people are just dumping a bit of a burger on the tracks or whatever, or just dropping something. So in other words, you know, you've got a safe haven, with a lot of protection, a lot of winding tunnels, tunnels where the average person can't go, and a lot of the old closed down ones. So it would be the ideal place for like wild animals that really, number one, want the cover and the darkness and the safety. But number two, arguably need a human presence, you know, which they can sort of live off all the, the rich pickings that we dump, so to speak.
1: Let's look at some other strange places here because there are so many and the book covers a whole host of them. And I guess the best thing to do is also look at that other famous underground place that we all talk about. Oh, I don't know how much we've talked about it here on the Powercast. Dulce, New Mexico. What's the background?
7: Mm. Well, yeah, I mean the dulcie story is without doubt, you know one of the most controversial probably in many respects even more controversial than the story of area 51 you know most of the installations almost exclusively all the installations i talk about in the book are at least under the control of the government according to sort of ufological rumor and legend the dulcie base is actually out of the hands of the government or the government has lost control of the base and it's now under the control of hostile aliens. Now, Dulce is a base, or an alleged base, I should say, in the town of Dulce, New Mexico, hence the name, which is in the northern part of the state. For years, people have come forward, unfortunately, for the most part, using pseudonyms or aliases, etc., but still claiming that, you know, this huge installation exists below this mesa, this huge mesa. That The mesa is undeniably real in the town of Dulce. But people talk about this gigantic facility extending down for, you know, a number of levels, multi-levels below the Mesa, uh, where hostile aliens are doing everything from sort of biological warfare experiments to, you know, bizarre Genetic and gene splicing programs, splicing humans with other animals and people are kidnapped and used for food. And it it sounds like, you know, the ultimate conspiracy sci-fi thriller, which you probably would make. And I think there are actually heard somewhere that a movie is going to be made about Dulcie, So I'm sure it may cover some of these issues. But, you know, there's a big difference between what we know as science fiction or what may be science fiction and science facts and rumor here, say, a verifiable fact. Now, a lot of people talk about the, the Dulcie base, you know, and, and perpetuate these stories about hostile aliens, which, you know, who knows where the truth begins again. But one of the things I did when I was researching the chapter on Dulcie was not just to focus on who was saying what about what, you know, in relation to, to UFOs specifically, but actually take a look at what else was going on in Dulcie and look at the history of the area and try and determine to what extent, if any extent, you know, the military or the government had been active in the Dulce area. And the fact of, of the reality is that there's a, a huge amount of military and government ties to the Dulce area. The, the Mesa itself extends more than 9,000 feet um, above sea level in Rio, Ariba County. And this entire area from 1975 to 1979 was a literal hotbed for um, cattle mutilations. Now, the FBI has now declassified all its cattle mutilation files, many of which cover all these encounters at Dulcie. And when you read the FBI's files on the, the Dulce cattle mute, you know, you find it, it reads like sci-fi until you realize, you know, you're looking at genuine government files. I mean, they talk about animals drained of blood, weird tripod markings on the ground that seem to be following the cattle, elevated radiation readings, calves having been taken and the mothers left behind, all, all sorts of weird stuff like this. And, um to where the FBI even consulted with Gabe Valdez, um, who was uh, one of the most prominent people in the uh, New Mexico State uh, Police Department in Dulce at that particular time, or in the vicinity of Dulce. So in other words, we know on first, at least, that there was a a wide range of cattle mutilations in the very area of where the base supposedly exists. And what's interesting is that the existence or the story of the base wasn't around you know in 1975 nobody was talking about the dulcie base then so in other words you know people might argue if the story was already in circulation then people might be just getting all you know hysterical about somebody's cow dying and attributing it to the story of the alien base but that it wasn't in circulation in 75 so in other words the mutilation angle predates the base stories. The other thing that's interesting is that on the 10th of December 1967, the Atomic Energy Commission detonated a 29 kiloton nuclear device 4,000 feet below ground level in the area, uh, ostensibly at least, to sort of provoke the release and production of natural gas. And this was a program known as Gas Buggy, which fell under the auspices of a bigger program called Operation Plowshare, which was basically designed to explore the peaceful use of atomic energy and what's interesting is that the, the location of the gas buggy test, when they detonated this atomic device way below ground, is actually only 12 miles from Dulcie. So, in other words, we can prove that there was verifiable underground digging and explosions in the Dulcie area back in the 60s. We can prove the FBI was looking into cattle mutilations there in the 70s. So, you know, this for me, again, leaves open the idea that there could very well be some sort of underground installation in the area. And to give you another intriguing little bit of insight as well, because of these uh, this nuclear test in 67, all around Dulcie now, it's actually illegal, unless you get government permission, to dig Um, within the near vicinity of where the uh, explosion took place. Now, on the one hand, you could argue, well, you know, this is an atomic device. Nobody wants somebody opening up the ground, you know, and releasing radioactive elements or whatever, which is true. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, you could make the argument the government doesn't want us digging around there in case anybody stumbles upon evidence of the underground facility, you know. But whichever scenario is true, It's intriguing that of all the locations in the U.S., you know, where it's illegal to dig underground, one of them is within 12 miles of the alleged Dulce base.
1: We have Nick Redfern. The book is called Keep Out. And many more places around the world to explore in a few of your questions, listeners. You're on with Gene and Chris because you're in... The
7: BearCast. Yes, you are.
1: So here's what happened. I was placing an order online
12: Hey everybody, Jason Lewis here once again. These are hard times for investors. If you're like me, you just don't know where to put your money because there's a downside to every possible scenario. Now look, every portfolio needs a hedge for inflation. Gold has been the classic. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, commodities fluctuate. So you could lose money. Gold goes up and down. But every stable portfolio usually has an inflation hedge and gold is, well, the gold standard. Washington is not going to get us out of this recovery so you've got to protect yourself. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but it's lost a lot of its value since then. Call Midas Resources today, 1-800-686-2237 for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. Listeners, it's Jason Lewis, and now that the holidays have come and gone, it's time to get serious about our New Year's resolutions. For 2012, resolve to protect your most valuable asset, your family. Daily, we hear about all the crazy stuff happening around the world, unemployment, food shortages, natural disasters, just to name a few. For my preparation, I recommend WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff, that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. Visit WiseFoodStorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's WiseFoodStorage.com or call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 and enter promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Peace of mind, the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about The Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download, direct from theparacast.com. That's
1: theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. We have the inimitable Nick Redfern, author of "Keep Out: Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About." And there you go. Any more issues about Dulce before we jump away? Yeah, okay. just a little bit. A couple things, Nick.
2: Uh, speak to uh, you know, of course, the whole Paul Benowitz uh, scenario, which which your good friend Greg Bishop uh, yeah. did a great yeah. job covering in his book Project Beta, and also the more recent revelations from uh, a gentleman who was on the Pericast, uh, Anthony Sanchez, and his most recent addition to the the Dulce
7: thing. When it comes to Dulce, the story itself suggesting, you know, there was some sort of, or there is some sort of, underground base in the area, really didn't sort of kick off until the late 1970s, early 1980s. What happened is that, well, we have to go back to a guy named Paul Benowitz. Paul Benowitz ran a company called Thund- the Thunder Corporation, which actually had its headquarters or its base of operations literally on the just outside the base perimeter of Kirtland Air Force Base, New Mexico. Uh, Benowitz had an interest in UFOs. And he began to see a lot of activity occurring at Curtin that he perceived as being linked with UFOs. For example, strange lights in the sky, strange aircraft performing all sorts of weird maneuvers, lights sort of seemingly beaming down from the sky. He began to develop this controversial theory at the same time that he was investigating a number of weird alien abduction stories in the area, a couple of which were actually linked with cattle mutilation events also and over time benowitz his scenario and his hypothesis grew and grew to the point where he came to believe that there was sort of a massive alien presence in the new mexico area and that people at certain people at kirtland knew about this and that there was maybe some sort of government alien interaction that the aliens were hostile and kidnapping people and forming all sorts of weird experiments upon them the scenario grew and grew and grew now A good friend of mine, Greg Bishop, wrote a book about this called Project Beta. And the book basically looks at the Benowitz story, but suggests that possibly there may well have been some genuine UFO incidents involved, but Greg kind of takes the view that, that more along the lines of Benowitz having been sort of taken in and fooled by the military who wanted to pummel him with UFO stories because they believed or they were worried that he was actually focusing his attention on classified military programs. In other words, Benowitz was looking for UFO data if he had stumbled upon, you know, classified military stealth aircraft being test-flown and laser weaponry testing, etc. And, you know, he, he certainly wasn't working for the Russians or anything like that, but the fear was he might inadvertently and innocently reveal classified military programs that he thought were the work of aliens. So, as Greg points out in his book, the government decided to give Benowitz exactly what he wanted and they literally pummeled him with, you know, tail after tail of UFOs and, you know, they amped up kind of the horror angle, you know, that we're all under direct threat and that people were being sort of surgically implanted with devices that would allow them to be turned on, you know, like sleeper agents further down the line and that people were being sort of dissected and subjected to all sorts of alien experimentation. And it actually got to the point where Benowitz got so stressed out that he he was actually admitted to um, an institution you know he had to undergo some sort of like psychological mental sort of um, you know, recovery. I mean well,
2: it, it, can, can you me blame him know, i mean they, they, the, the Air force of uh, the Air Force Office of intelligence officers would even go in uh, on occasion and rearrange the furniture in his house. Yeah.
7: Yeah, this is the weird thing. I mean, you know, they use all sorts of weird little tactics to try and destabilise him. He said, just moving them. If you imagine you come home and your your chair's sort of two foot to the left or the right, or, you know, a painting that was on one wall's now on another wall. You know, you would begin to wonder. You know, had he got Alzheimer's or something? You know what I mean? And not and forgotten something he'd done two hours ago. And and all of this collectively and the fact that a lot of these stories were coming from military people he'd actually come to know and trust on the base, you know, instilled in Benowitz's mind that there was some truth to it. But what happened was that Benowitz um a lot of the stories that were fed to him were focused on the the Dulcie base, which of course is in north New Mexico. And eventually he began steering his information and his research away from Kirtland and focusing more on Dulcie. Now, you know, Greg has argued that that was the plan all along to, you know, get Benowitz looking away from military programs at Kirtland and into a relatively safe area in Dulcy. And to an extent, I agree with that. But on the other hand, where I kind of think the issue is still open is that if there really is a base at Dulcy, it would arguably be just as hazardous for the government to direct Benowitz towards that not just away from Kirtland. You know, why not just send him on a mission into an area of the desert where there was nothing? The fact you know, that so, kind
1: of sent him into the loony bin, do you think they just overreacted, tried too hard?
7: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think you can look at it two ways. One of them, one of the ways is dependent upon Ben, character. You know, if it was me and I was fed stories about hostile aliens doing all sorts of experimentation on people, you know, that wouldn't cause me to have a nervous breakdown. It would cause me to dig into the story more. And if I came home and found pictures moved and things like that, I would stealthily set up cameras in the room, you know, and, and see if I could pick anything up. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be of that mindset where I think after six months I would be in the loony bin. So I no. think, you know, th- this, this sort of approach I think is only undertaken when a lot of sort of background research has been done on the psychological state of the person and how they can be manipulated. And one thing that works on one person might not work on another, but I think I think the motivation was to destabilise him, to encourage him by whatever means necessary to keep away from Kirtland and you know uncovering, albeit unwittingly, uh, classified military programs and just focus on a different area. Now, I don't actually think you know the the people on the program literally wanted. Benowitz's health to suffer. I mean, some of them have come forward and said, you know, they kind of regretted the extent to which he'd been affected. I think the goal was just to shut him down and stop him, you know, not realizing that it was going to go to the ultimate degree of sort of like a total nervous, physical and psychological collapse, you know.
1: Well, the other question I would have is, is there any other case of someone else like a Paul Benowitz who was transported to the loony bin in this fashion, or is he a singular effort?
7: Well, you know, I mean, there probably isn't, at least ones I can think of publicly. Um, But, you know, certainly Benowitz is the most visible, and the fact that he's sort of intricately tied into the story of the Dulcie base, you know, just makes it all the more intriguing. And, of course, with Dulcie, it's kind of like Area 51 and Roswell. You know, it just never goes away. Uh, I mean, for example, stories are still being told about um, about the whole Dulcie thing today. I mean, one of the people who's sort of been more vocal on this in the last couple of years is a researcher named Anthony Sanchez. Um, and in, in, actually in January 2010, Sanchez spoke with a retired U.S. Air Force operative who confirmed that, yes, there was a Dulcy facility, um, but rather than just being one kind of secret underground base, there are actually three. And um, they were supposedly nicknamed TAD1, TAD2, and TAD3.
1: And this and is T-A- COMMERCIAL Radio with Nick Redfern, author of Keep Out. You're talking to Gene and Chris because you're in. The Paracast. Nick?
8: Mm-hmm. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are. The GCN Radio Network.
15: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition.
17: As we age, we lose both strength and muscle mass. Undamaged whey protein from grass fed cows is nature's most powerful food to gain back lost muscle. Virtually all whey protein powders or drinks have been damaged during processing or are high in sugar. This damaged whey causes a significant loss in the ability of the body to build new muscle proteins. The high sugar content will stop all the benefits of your growth hormone from causing muscle repair. By giving your body easily absorbed, undamaged whey free of added sugar, you may be able to gain back lost muscle and strength. One World Whey is truly undamaged whey protein powder free of added sugar. Both young and elderly are reporting increases in muscle strength and size without any additional exercise. Go to OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWHEY.com to read or hear some impressive testimonies to this effect. Or call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Iodine
11: protection packs from hempusa.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, Red palm oil and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with micro plant powder. Visit us at hempusa.org or call
18: 908-691-2608 today. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country,
19: Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem, guaranteed. He's helped thousands of
18: people and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO TAX.
20: Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Nick Redfern, author of Keep Out. And we're focusing here on... Things in and around Dulce, New Mexico, with Jean and Chris. Chris, you want to pick up on the questioning? Well, boy,
2: we we obviously Nick the the whole subject of Dulce could uh, we could do a, a couple of shows on on this this one topic. So I don't want to you know beat this one too long because we have uh, other ground to cover. But I mean, what are your feelings about it? I mean, where do you come down on it? You seem you seem kind of like a fence sitter in terms of your voice in the book. Uh, I mean what do you think? Do you think that there is let 's say a an underground nuclear uh, storage facility there on an Indian reservation, uh, and possibly that could be responsible for the heightened uh, environmental radiation that 's uh, affecting the you know the health of the Hickory Apache there. I mean, there's a lot of very interesting sidebars to this story. Um, I uncovered uh, a source that claimed he helped build the tunnel from Los Alamos to Dulce and that oh. it, it was his understanding that it was an underground storage facility. I mean, where do you come down?
7: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to call me a fence, is actually correct, uh, providing we sort of understand, you know, what that term means. I mean, there are people in ufology who sit on the fence because they just want to be, you know, they want to try and please both sides and they don't want to cause friction or whatever. You know, that, that's not my approach. You know, I, I'll tell it as I see it. But when it comes to Dulcie, I do sit on the fence, because not because, you know, I want to please both sides or sort of remain, you know, kind of impartial or whatever. It purely and simply is because the story it's can... Weird. It's weird, and it can go two ways. You know, on the one hand, it sounds just like sci-fi to imagine there could be some sort of huge underground James Bond-type villain base, you know, in the heart of New Mexico, where all these sort of unspeakable things are going on. And if that's all there was, then I would say, well, you know, show me some evidence of it, or go away, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, that isn't what we're getting. What we actually have with Dulcie, we have these intriguing stories but we can prove that the government really was digging in that area back in the 60s. We can prove that the FBI was deeply worried about a whole space of cattle mutilations in that very area in the 1970s. So I sit on the fence when it comes to Dulcie, because the story sounds so outlandish, but when we dig into it, we actually see some evidence that is suggestive of something weird going on in the area and i think one of the other reasons why you know when it comes to dulcie i don't mind being called a fence is because one of the things about dulcie so many people say well i believe this and i believe that you know in ufology the word belief to me it's just like the bane of the subject nobody should be believing anything what we should be (laughs) doing is looking at evidence. (laughs) <laughs> and trying to verify that evidence and date when we find it, otherwise you know it becomes like a religion where you know somebody believes in heaven, somebody believes in reincarnation, it doesn't mean there isn't a life after death, but when it's when you're putting your own spin on it that's what's happening with things like Dulcie and uh, most aspects of ufology, you know somebody says, "I believe the aliens come from Z to reticuli well, big deal belief in aliens from Z- reticuli means nothing. You know, you, we need evidence, and that's the thing. With but it doesn't mean we shouldn't look into it and have a have a, a theory, or we shouldn't address it. And that's you know what I try and do with Dulcie. There's something weird about the area. Something's going on. But to a degree, it's a big leap to suggest that aliens are dissecting people and you know gene splicing them with gorillas or whatever. You know, right?
2: Which is, the cavern of Doctor Moreau.
7: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> in that sense, you know, I urge caution, but equally. Recognize the fact that there really is a lot of oddities in and around Dulce, you know. So let's investigate it, but let's not get steeped in belief systems about what we want to hear because it's cool and it's going to get people into conferences and lectures. You know, let's let's remain impartial until we know.
2: Well, uh, we had Anthony uh, Sanchez on the Paracast uh, last year. Oh boy. And uh, Frank Warren a longtime researcher in the field has done quite a bit of digging into uh, Sanchez's alleged Colonel X story with his uh, document the DD214 which is a discharge document uh, if memory serves me correct and there are some real serious problems with it in fact the the supposed division of our agency that that supposedly released this document uh, called uh, the way that uh, Sanchez has presented it totally bogus. So what do you think about this whole Anthony Sanchez, um, the latest wrinkle in this thing? Do you you give the Colonel X story any sort of credence at all, or or where do you come down on that?
7: Well, you know, I, I try and look at the bigger picture, and I think the bigger picture is, you know, I think we see this in a lot of cases where something's going on, and it's not all just made up out of you know, nothing, that there is an area where, you know, there there could potentially be some sort of base or installation. What we often see is military people coming forward with sort of, you know, classic deep throat type revelations, Mr. X type stuff. And people, people either take one view or another for the most part. They either think it's nonsense or it's some brave whistleblower coming forward to expose the truth. You know, I often think that this is done to confuse things and to lessen the credibility of what might be a real mystery and a real secret, but possibly one of less significance than you know the story that's being told. In other words, you know, let's get somebody coming forward who's got a really fantastic story to tell and then whose background can be demolished. And then what happens, the rest of the deck of the cards falls down as well. And I think that's often the goal in these sort of Mr. X type stories or Deep Throat type, you know, revelations, that it's, Ooh. you know...
2: Similar to the you know, Annie like, Jacobson Area 51 scenario. Supply yeah, 1, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's actually, it's quite similar.
7: Yeah, and I think a lot of people in ufology, unfortunately, foam at the mouth when a military person comes forward to reveal some big secret about UFOs. Well, my view has always been, don't just wonder about the secret that's being revealed to you, question why is it being revealed to you? You know, why is this person coming forward to talk about this? You know, and and I think very often we can get a good indicator as to what's going on from the why of the story rather than the content of the story.
1: Now, the question would be, then, if we're being fed disinformation, the motivation, is it to hide some larger secret or just to experiment on people and see how they react just in case?
7: Well, you know, I mean, it could be a combination of several things. You know, that's the big problem with the UFO subject is that it goes beyond just the issue of whether or not life exists elsewhere and it's visiting us. It also sort of impacts upon government secrecy, government disinformation, how secrets are kept, how lies are spread to hide something else. You know, you, you really have to be a student of the way the government's mind works rather than just, you know, wondering about sort of, you know aliens stealing our DNA or whatever. Um, So I think, you know, when it comes to stories like this, you know, to a degree, it's to keep us away from something. To a second degree, it's to perpetuate fake stories that have us all running around like headless chickens. But the third thing is always remember, it's obviously being done for a purpose. And if there's a purpose, there's still something worth looking for. You know, and maybe... Uh, like Chris said, that you know, with his source who talked about you know, working on the construction of this space, but it was more like a storage area. Maybe something secret is being stored there that the government doesn't want to know, know about, but it, prefers, it can't keep people away, it can't hide the story, so what does it do? Well, it swamps the fairly down-to-earth story with accounts of crashed UFOs and aliens eating humans. Deep below
1: the Mesa. So, if you make no. it wackier and wackier, people are going to disbelieve what's really going on there. You're pointing them in this direction. But that raises a larger issue to what extent is military disinformation focusing us away from mm. some real things and into UFOs? What percentage of UFOs or related activities, such as abductions, are simply government playing tricks?
7: Well, you know, in my view is I think it's, it's a bit of both. What I think, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, there's a genuine UFO phenomenon of, of unknown origins. Now, whether it's extraterrestrial, whether it's, you know, in, in simple terms, interdimensional, you know, which is actually a far more intricate uh, area of research than rather than just calling it interdimensional. Who knows If it's something else, you know, if it's tulpas, who knows what it is, but it exists. And I think the government knows this and doesn't want us to know what it knows. But equally, I think the government has realized over the years that this very real phenomenon can also be exploited by the government to cover up its own activities.
1: And now we're going to cover up this, ladies and gentlemen. We have Nick Redfern, author of Keep Out, with Gene and Chris. You're in the (laughs) Paracast. See if graphic converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy graphic converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for graphic converter. Go to lemkesoft.com. That's L E L-E-M-K-E M K E SOFT.com.
13: L E M K E SOFT.com. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world, alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A Vision.com or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Big Berkey
16: Water Filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey Water Filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today
3: This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're
1: listening to the Paracast. There is no truth to the rumor that the only reason we bring Nick Redfern onto the Paracast every so often is because of his laughter.
7: Well, my wisdom always said that is the reason.
1: Just as Robert Plant once said, remember Laughter Yeah. Chris, you want enough? to pursue this, or let's get to some of the
2: listener questions. Oh, you would uh, spring that on me right now. Let's uh, talk about Pine Gap first.
7: Okay. Well, Pine Gap, yeah, Pine Gap um, is in Australia, and it's sort of one of, well, probably the most secretive location in Australia, beyond any shadow of a doubt. And it's kind of like a, an Australian equivalent to the National Security Agency, in the sense that, you know, whereas agencies like the FBI and the CIA responsible for sort of intelligence gathering, you know, a lot of manpower involved and spying operations, espionage programs, that sort of thing. The, the Dulce base, like uh, the National Security Agency in Maryland, essentially are sort of the eyes and the ears and certainly more the ears of sort of the espionage world. You know, they, they're responsible for sort of phone tapping, monitoring emails, you know, faxes, telephones, you know, just basically eavesdropping on the planet and whoever you know, it's deemed necessary to, to spy on, if you like, under those sort of circumstances. And um, Pine Gap is actually the only location in all of Australia that it's illegal to fly over. Um, you know, you'd, you'd imagine their equivalent to the White House might be the place, but it's actually uh, Pine Gap. And Pine Gap's origins go back to the mid-1960s when um, the government of Australia and the U.S. signed what was known as the Pine Gap Treaty which basically allowed for the establishment on Australian soil of this sort of classified eavesdropping agency or facility that was going to be manned by uh, Australian personnel, but from the US, people from the NSA and the CIA. And so we had a lot of -of state-of-the-art surveillance equipment, things like this. But just like the CIA and the NSA, Pine Gap has also been linked with UFOs. There have been people who've talked about seeing what look like uh, sort of platforms opening in the desert floor and then these weird-looking UFOs coming out and sort of taking to the skies. Now, one of the things I note in the book is that because Pine Gap you know, is heavily involved in surveillance operations, you have to wonder the more that our technology develops – You know, are we seeing evidence, as some people do believe, you know, the idea that there's an alien base below Pine Gap, or are we seeing evidence of more and more of these so-called, you know, remotely piloted vehicles and drones that are being increasingly used for domestic surveillance, you know, rather than just spying on enemy nations. By definition, you know, some sort of weird-looking drone is a UFO. You know, it's unidentified, and it's flying, and it's an object. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's alien. And I think sometimes when we see these weird-looking crafts, like the ones that have been seen in and around Pine Gap, we may well be seeing evidence of some sort of highly advanced you know, terrestrial device rather than something alien. And I think the more and more our technology develops, it's going to become more and more difficult to differentiate between what might be, quote, ours or theirs.
2: It's one of the more intriguing uh, locations, I think, in Australia. Also down in the southern uh, part of the country, there's, there's uh, quite an interesting place where that uh, doomsday cult from Japan may have detonated some near-nuclear device. I'm not sure if you're aware of that story, but uh, there's a lot of room there for, uh, for the government uh, or governments to, to hide a lot of uh, <laughs> secrets Are out there.
7: Right? I mean, the thing is, you know, Australia, for the most part, is sort of inhabited the big cities, sort of around the coastal areas, you know, and it's a, it's a huge country. Um, You know, it's massive. So in that sense, you know, it makes a great deal of sense to, if you want to have a a secret installation far and away from everybody, you know, position it in Australia. You know, I mean, UFOs aside, you know, there have been a lot of questions asked in Australia in the last few years about civil liberty issues, about Pine Gap being used to spy on, you know, at a domestic level on everybody from, you know, from people complaining about... You know, the use of animals in farms, you know, vegetarians and animal rights groups, you know, right up to sort of some of the things you'd expect them to get involved in, like terrorist issues. But, um, you know, in terms of UFOs, there is this sort of undercurrent of, of weird sightings in the area as well. Kind of like Area 51, you know, a secret base where we know classified military operations are going on, but there's also a UFO connection. You know, the, the big question is what is the nature of that UFO connection? Is it something of ours, as I said you know, just now, or theirs? Well, certainly any place
1: that you have established that you do secret testing, mm-hmm. you're going to see that. You're going yeah. to see if you're testing aircraft, what's going on. Of course, the way the military budget's being slashed, maybe they'll be developing fewer types of aircraft.
7: Well, yeah, I mean, that, that could be the case. I mean, it, it's sort of difficult to know. But I think the, the problem for the UFO community and for the public is that, People when people see a weird-looking object in the sky, they immediately think UFO. You know, today's technology. If you see a circular-shaped thing flying around, there's no reason that has to be alien. There's none at all. You know, the technology exists to fly and build these things. And um, and I think unfortunately, governments realise that the the pop culture image of the flying saucer is so strong that. It acts, it acts as a very good cover, you know, an incredible cover even. And I think, you know, this, this relates to why and many of these bases have UFO stories attached to them. Don't get me wrong, there are a lot of highly unexplainable cases linked to official facilities. But in some of them, I think we've got to point the finger at the, you know, these corporations, etc., that are building these remote drones and things like that.
1: Is that also part of the issue, too, that nowadays we put more stuff into the hands of the military-industrial complex, and, of course, they're not constrained by accountability. They're private companies, and if they're not being regulated in any way, they can just do what they want.
7: Well, yeah, and then, of course, you know, the government has plausible deniability of saying we know nothing about this or it's nothing to do with us, which, technically, you know, you're stretching the truth to the finest line possible, but you're still telling the truth, but you know, the government is not building this. Well that doesn't mean the government hasn't contracted out to somebody else to build it, you know. Um and I think I think again, you know, with the UFO subject, not you know, I'm not trying to be Sam anything special, which I'm not, you know, but I do think a lot of researchers miss one of the most important things and that is, you know, just not looking at the evidence and wanting it to be this or that, but looking at all the other potential possibilities looking at what where technology is today you know looking at the low geographical locations of ufo encounters in relation to military facilities and things like this um and just trying to you know look at the bigger picture i mean i mean i understand you know the ufo subject is an emotive one that provokes beliefs and people want it to be this and they want it to be exciting and they want to go to conferences and hear x-files like tales, which is fine but if you're going to be level-headed and grounded about it, you know you can't go running around like some you know, headless chicken just spreading stories because they're fun and exciting. You know, we've well, got maybe to the UFO it. business
1: is regarded by a lot of people as one huge reality show. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the the crazy housewives of Beverly Hills and the UFO researchers from Area 51. Is there a difference anymore? <laughs>
7: Well, you know, I mean, to an extent, I mean, this is one of the issues I have with the, with the media. You know, the media are always quick to sort of paint the UFO research community or the paranormal research community as a whole, you know, is a little bit odd. You know, and I mean, when you look at most people in the field, I don't think, you know, of course you can always find someone you can single out who's like, you know, 55 years old, lives in his mom's basement and has got some obsession with some actress he's never going to meet, you know what I mean? You know, the the sort of the typical bumbling person who, you know, fits that category. But for the most part, I I think most people in the field are level-headed and grounded, and this idea that we're all a little bit off-kilter is more of a creation of the media because, you know, it's it's an entertaining, from their perspective, um, way to portray us. Um, but I don't think, you know, we're, we're sort of at that reality TV level where I think what lets the UFO research field down is that, you know, the issue I've brought up before, belief. People want, you know, regardless of what did or didn't happen at Roswell, I don't care what people say, everybody in ufology wants aliens to have crashed at Roswell because it would offer some vindication for the story and the over, the bigger UFO mystery. But wanting it to be alien... And believing it to be alien, you know, there's a fine line between accepting that as fact and accepting it as what it is, a theory. And I think ufology's biggest failure is to get itself out of this belief-driven approach to the subject rather than a view that, well, something's going on, but let's just look at all the data and analyze it study it put it together and try and come to some conclusion not try and vindicate a particular theory but that's not and, sexy
1: uh, enough nick that's not sexy well, enough. No, that's you have right. to have et it has to be something <laughs> that's romantic oh the aliens are going to come to earth because we're so special well, we have right. a special I mean, that, that, nick redfern the book is called keep out you're with gene and chris you're in the Paracast. oh ho, ho ho and a bottle of oh forget it
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Nick Redfern. We can't forget him because he's the author of Keep Out, his latest work. Ho, 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 whose girlfriend are you talking about? I don't know what he's talking about, but we'll get into that maybe later on. I'll tell you what, we've got just a few segments left and so many places to visit. We've got to go away from Area 51, we've got to go away from Down Under and Dulcie and the London Underground. What about Hangar 18? What, pray tell, is Hangar 18 other than a rather bad science fiction Ooh. movie?
7: <laughs> well, Hangar 18 is sort of this catch-all term that's been sort of created or put in place to describe a variety of sort of hangars and underground facilities at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Now, there actually isn't, you know, you can't sort of go to the base fence and see this huge hangar with a big number 18 painted on it and, you know, which you denied access to. There is no literal hangar 18 at the base. But as I said, it's more of a term designed to explain some sort of like underground facility, chambers, etc., where people have said they've seen alien bodies in cryogenic storage. Interestingly enough, although there are a few stories of sort of crashed UFOs being seen at Wright-Patterson, most of the stories are of the bodies. Somebody's shown, given access to this underground place, and there are these sort of missile-like containers containing these small bodies, and, you know, somebody gets a briefing on them, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, again, you know, it's it's an intriguing story. It's sort of like a, a proto Area 51 in the sense that these stories go back to the latter part of the 1940s and, you know, what's interesting about Wright-Patterson, it does have a verifiable UFO link. For example, the Air Force's UFO program, Sign, Grudge, and Blue Book, they were all operated out of Wright-Patterson. Wright-Patterson was also home to the Foreign Technology Division of the Air Force, which has also been linked with UFOs over the years and also a UFO-related classified program called Project Moondust, which is also allied to Wright-Patterson. So in that sense, you know, we can prove that there was a, a UFO link to the base. What we've not been able to prove so far, but we have a lot of interesting stories, are the Hangar 18 stale- tales. Now, one of the people who spoke out about this publicly and vocally, and who the skeptics, you know, they have a hard time, fortunately, <laughs> in, um, you know, kind of knocking the guy down, uh, was Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater was a major general in the Air Force, a senator for Arizona, the Republican Party's nominee for president in '64, and also the chairman of the U.S. Government Senate Intelligence Committee. Now, Goldwater was fully aware of all these stories and rumours about dead aliens stored under uh, Wright-Patterson in some sort of sealed, well-guarded chamber, if you like. One of the people he sort of came across during the course of his government and military work, who he became actually good friends with, um, was General Curtis LeMay. On one particular occasion in the early 60s, Goldwater said to LeMay, being a friend of his, you know, I've heard all these stories about these bodies and everything else under Wright-Patterson, you know, can you get me in there? Can I see it? And LeMay basically blew his top and said, not only no, but hell no, and don't ever ask me again. You know, if that had come from sort of a Mr. X type character, Deep Throat, well, it's an interesting story, but there's nothing we can do with it. But when it comes from, you know, somebody like Goldwater, who has a verifiable, you know, who's a background, who was a major player in the U.S. government in the 20th century, you know, you have to question why someone would make something like that up. And I don't believe he did make it up. I think, you know, there really probably is or was some sort of chamber below the base, you know, what it contained. That's the bigger issue. That's the bigger question. But when you've got somebody like Goldwater by default endorsing the reality of this situation, you know, then we have to, I think, the onus is on us to dig further, literally dig <laughs>
1: Well, we don't have anybody like a Goldwater anymore.
7: Well, you know, I mean, but then again, who's to say that other people won't come forward, you know, one day who were exposed to something? I think that's what the the UFO field needs, you know. We've got plenty of researchers. We haven't got somebody, you know, a really credible person on the inside who, you know, comes forward and says, hey, you know, I was briefed on this.
1: Well, you see, we have people like, for example, when Dennis Kucinich, the Ohio congressman, mentions anything about UFOs, his presidential ambitions are shot down. Yeah. Of course, you know, that's it. I mean, he's the godson of Shirley MacLaine. For heaven's sake, he's got to be a lunatic.
7: Well, this is the thing with the UFO subject, is that although, as I said, there's no doubt in my mind it's a real phenomenon, the big problem is it has a massive ridicule factor attached to it. You know, and and it's kind of almost like the kiss of death. Just because a phenomenon's real doesn't mean... You know, it doesn't provoke hysterical laughter. It does. You know, it's, um, the, the line between the two is so close as well.
1: And it also makes it more difficult to gain credibility. People are just laughing up their sleeves. Yes. If they don't take it as entertainment, UFOs. Oh, cool. They have E.T.'s coming down. You know, as long as you present that, it's not going to be taken seriously because the truth may at this point just be nuts and bolts until you have some real interaction, if there is any.
7: Well, yeah, the big problem, as I see it, is that, you know, for most people in the general public, it's entertainment. And I do understand that, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sound elitist or anything like that. Most people who occasionally watch, you know, a UFO documentary, they want entertaining, and that's fine. And if it brings the subject to more people's attention, well, that's good too. But people, for the most part, they want the entertainment as much as they want the information. You know, most people watching a documentary don't want to hear about the government using the UFO program or the the subject to hide classified military programs, you know, this is also getting really too deep. They want to hear about abductions and Roswell and things like that. But equally, you know, I think part of the problem has been, is down to the UFO research community. You know, we haven't handled things as well as we could have. You know, we get a lot of sensationalist claims out there. We get a lot of people jumping up and shouting loudly about this or that. And a lot of it is to sort of perpetuate the field. I don't care what people say it is. You know, let's sensationalize stuff because it's going to bring people into the conferences. It's going to sell books and magazines, etc. Well, you know, well, don't do that. Try just that taking a rational, down-to-earth, unbiased approach. Maybe okay, it's not as sexy, it's not as you know exciting, but maybe we'll have a better chance of actually solving things and not just keep waffling on for 64 years after Kenneth Arnold saw whatever it was he saw. So.
2: Yeah, and I agree, Nick. And and unfortunately. You know, just professing an interest in these subjects for many years uh guaranteed yeah. you uh some <laughs> strange looks and uh laughter <laughs> behind your back. I, I think that is slowly changing. Uh and I and I do have a sense that since we're going into this corporatocracy mm-hmm. uh period in American history, that uh private companies and corporations are gonna have more and more control over this subject and, and I, I see the aerospace companies as being as being where if we could do a Freedom of Information Act requests to private corporations, mm-hmm. Boy i I know the first three uh, that I target, but mm-hmm. you know the, the, this is it's it 's like uh, what a uh, church say about russia it 's an an enigma wrapped in a, a riddle uh, yeah. inside a mystery or it mm-hmm. it 's the same with the uh, uFO subject and and in a lesser way, the underground base scenario the more you dig, the more confusing it gets and and the more you know, just disinformation tends to pop up and, and you know, I must applaud you in, in your ability to uh, to collate and coalesce all this information about these various uh, mysterious places together in one place. I think it's a it's a real it's a real good reference book for for people who want at a glance to, uh, to visit some of these places and you do cover quite a few of them which we're not unfortunately going to have time to cover in the show. We're going to have to have you back but I do have some questions from our listeners, uh, including one from um, one of our newest posters, Blabby Boy. And boy, he, uh, he, he's firing off uh, – there's about a dozen questions here. I'm going to start with a few of them. Have you ever heard anything uh, located around or under the Isle of Wight? And uh, and he's been there a few times, and he's reading a feature on it in a now-defunct uh, UK UFO magazine. And he's wondering if you've ever heard of any, any sort of stories or any information about that area.
7: Uh, I actually haven't. I mean, you know, come from Ireland, the Isle of Wight, for people who don't know, is just off the, uh, the south coast of England. Actually, not too far from where I used to live. I, just as an aside, I me and three of my friends, we had a trail for three years in a little town called Brixham, which is not a million miles away from the Isle of Wight. But no, I've never, I've never heard that story at all. No.
2: Excluding the capital cities of Birmingham and Manchester, are there any other strange, secret places hidden in other cities in the UK that are of interest? Now you do cover Mendips. So do, you, do you want to talk about Mendips and possibly Bentwaters just
1: uh, briefly?
7: Yeah, I mean the Bentwaters Woodbridge stories.
1: We will go to visit Bentwaters. And lots of other places as we continue. With Nick Redfern, you're in the Paracast.
9: Ho, ho, ho.
1: One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official PowerCast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the PowerCast logo at the official PowerCast store. It's all now available at the official PowerCast store, store.theparacast.com.
21: Nick Wadina with Midas Resources. If you have an IRA or 401k, did you know you can turn that nest egg into a physical gold and silver nest egg? Do you know what kind of specific precious metals are allowed by law to be in retirement accounts? Did you know that you can take physical delivery of these precious metals? Would you like to know more? It's a fact. Stocks and mutual funds have been a wild ride, and many people's retirement funds have taken large hits. If you put $100,000 in gold in January of 2009, it would be worth over $200,000 today. If you put $100,000 in silver, then it would be worth over $300,000 today. As bailouts for banks and the seemingly endless printing of money continues worldwide, the value of the dollar could decline further, in turn possibly pushing gold and silver much, much higher. Protect what you work so hard for. Call me, Nick Wadina, 1-800-686-2237, extension 343, and learn what your options are. Again, that's 1-800-686-2237, extension 343. Once again, 1-800-686-2237, extension 343.
13: Ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 1995 American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 2895 dollars Solar lanterns from 2295 dollars Solar flashlights, two for $16.95. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from $8.95. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 2, the number one, S-T, CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com. Or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. Digestive health is the key to wellness
20: and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free, 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic.
22: This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast, because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal.
7: talking about my girlfriend again? All three of them,
1: yeah. He's got seven at the same time. Chris O'Brien, he's a wild and wacky and woolly Chris O'Brien, man about (laughs) town who learned in the Orient (laughs) the incredible secret to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. (laughs) Women can see him. That's the problem. They run away. Seriously, we have Nick Redfern. The book is called Keep Out, and Chris had started... A new thread of discussion, Chris.
2: Well, again, we we do have other facilities in uh, in in and around uh, England. Is it called Mendips? Is that is that how you pronounce it? Well, they're talking about Bent,
7: Bentwaters and Woodbridge.
2: Yeah, and then in, in Mendips too, in, in Wiltshire.
7: Oh no, you mean Rudlow Manor? Oh, there you go. Yeah,
2: I'm getting them confused. But well, let's talk about some of the other uh, uh, these other facilities in the UK.
7: All right. Well, RAF Rudlow Manor, which is situated in the county of Wiltshire which, interestingly enough, is where most of the crop circles appear in that same county every year. RAF Rudlow Manor has a long and deep history and linkage to UFOs. Um, What's interesting about the base is the the area itself. There's a, a city in the county of Wiltshire called Bath, and it's all built out of one particular type of stone that was quarried from the very area where Rudlow Manor now exists. So, in other words, when the rock and the stone was quarried out, you had these massive underground caverns and tunnels um, you know, where, the, where the rock was taken from to build the city of Bath. And in the 1940s, the British government recognized the significance of, you know, having all these tunnels and caverns, it would um, be a good place for weapon storage or for somewhere for the government to go in the event of a national emergency, and particularly more so in the 50s and 60s, you know, the height of the Cold War, uh, while the rest of us are sort of frying above the surface, you know, the the government has somewhere to hide out and, and survive, unfortunately. The entire location under RF Rudlow Manor is this sort of rabbit's warren type situation of of tunnels and caverns and caves. Since the 60s onwards though, a lot of military people have come forward talking about um, classified UFO investigations having been undertaken deep below Rudlow and again you have these Hangar 18 type stories of dead aliens under the base and crashed UFOs and things like that. A number of files have surfaced under the terms of the Freedom of Information Act showing, you know, we can verify that personnel from the base were involved in UFO investigations. But, you know, the government story has always been, well, it's just at a low level and it was just a case of sending a few people out to interview witnesses. But, you know, we're not doing anything sort of super secret. But the retired military people, when they come forward, tell a different story. But I said the most significant thing is, you know, of all the places where these rumors are coming from, It's a base which has a a very intriguing and very secret but verifiable underground aspect to it as well, going back to the 40s with these quarried-out tunnels. Another one is the Bentwaters Woodbridge facility on the east coast. This is where the famous Rendlesham Forest UFO landing case occurred in December 1980. A lot of people focus upon the event itself obviously you know which which makes sense but larry warren who was the co-author with peter robbins of the book left at eastgate larry was one of the airmen based at bentwaters at the time he talked about in the wake of the encounter bentwaters in december 1980 about being taken to an underground part of the base like a massive underground installation where it seems from larry's words, there was like some sort of alien human interaction going on. Now, when this was going when this took place, Larry was actually sort of rendered into like a sounds like a drugged out state, you know, as if he'd been injected with something. So, you know, we have to wonder are his memories fully as we perceive them, or had he been subjected to some sort of weird mind control thing to sort of create the scenario that maybe somebody wanted him then to sort of spread, or is it a combination of the two? You know, I don't think there's any well, there's no doubt in my mind that Larry had a real UFO experience. Was the underground thing kind of added to it to make it sound unbelievable? Was it really shown this? Was it a combination of the two? I think there's a lot of sort of mind games going on with respect to the underground aspects of the Rendlesham story, but the important thing is that it is an aspect to it. Now, just one other quick linkage to secret installations in Britain, the place in, also in the county of Wiltshire, where our effort low Manor is, called Porton Down. Porton Down is like the British equivalent of Fort Detrick, where a lot of research is done into exotic viruses and biological warfare. And there's a story about personnel from Porton Down being sent to Rendlesham Forest a couple of days after the incident in hazmat suits and um, reportedly taking something out of the woods. And I, and I tell this story in the book, you know, of the Porton Down link to another secret location. So there's a lot of a lot of weird stuff like this in Britain.
2: Questions from Blabby Boy. During researching, you know, these potential locations uh, that are tied to the UFO subject, and, and most of them are underground, in his words, did you ever hit Pater by obtaining blueprints or planning submissions sourced via local councils or libraries or similar bodies? And he puts as an aside, I've always thought this to be a weakness for the establishment. Do we know of any uh, blueprints, let's say, for underground facilities? Has has this stuff ever been inadvertently revealed?
7: Oh, yeah. I mean, for example, with the the, uh, RAF Rudlow Manor situation in Wiltshire, England, a number of documents have surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act that actually... For example, you know, there were like Cold War files telling people, you know, people who held positions of authority in government, you know, this is how you need to get into the base in the event of a national emergency. You know, you'll be brought to entrance point A or whatever, you know, and it talks about the different levels of the base and, you know, what would go on in different places, and, you know, in the event of a national emergency like a nuclear strike by the Russians. This is where communications would be coordinated from. This is where government continuation would be carried out, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. So we definitely have so even maps and drawings and and schematics, that sort of thing, of, of Rudlow Manor. Even plans, for example, from the 60s, uh, telling the local fire service, you know, in the event of an a underground fire at the base, this is where you need to come to, to put the fire out. Uh, so we have a lot of stuff like that. and. Um, Certain plans have also been released under the terms of the Freedom of Information Act about vaults at Wright-Patterson. Now, of course, you know, we don't have anything like, this would be great if we did, but we don't have anything like, a you know, a map saying alien bodies vault or anything like that. But we do have evidence of maps, schematics again, and drawings, et cetera, showing underground facilities at the base, which, you know, are verifiable.
2: He goes on to ask a rhetorical question here, and that is, can a location ever really be secret? I'm just thinking that once the locals get to hear of something, yeah. it then becomes an exercise in keeping the contents or work of the location as closed yeah. as possible and not the loca- if not the location itself. And Jacques Vallée, of course would add um, a fairly famous quote of his is there's truth to these underground bases, who takes out the garbage?
7: Yeah. yeah. Well I mean these are actually good points, you know. I mean I think the best thing we can say about sort of secret installations is that the work that's undertaken there is secret. But by default, the places aren't secret, rather, the places are off limits. So, you know, when you have off limits places undertaking secret research, by default, they are secrets. Now, I think Jack's words certainly are more applicable to things like the Dulcie base, where, you know, the, the existence is denied. So if, you know, there's a lot of weird activity going on in the area, that would give it away. I don't think you can apply that to Area 51, because the base clearly does exist. So somebody really is taking out the garbage, you know.
2: And then suing so the that, government. What's that? I said, and burning it, burning the garbage and then getting, oh, yeah. uh, getting sick and then suing the government and then having yeah, the exactly. government say, well, we're going to throw the case out because there's no base there. It doesn't exist.
7: No, exactly. This is the problem. You know. So in other words, we can, we, we can prove the existence of these places. Um, and before the-
1: we get into any more places, here's a place we've got to go. We have Nick Redfern with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
7: Ho, 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 ho. That's Chris's seven hoes.
8: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN
1: Radio Network. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough,
23: an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs and helps with weight loss, is non-toxic, caffeine free, 100% natural, 100% organic and comes with a 100% money back guarantee. Waiting for the side effects disclaimers with MDS Forte, there are none. Order a 25-day treatment of MDS Forte by calling 213-405-5355. 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com. That's bestbloodsupport.com for MDS
24: Forte, a diabetes breakthrough. Smokers are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at Lasig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Lecig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning. E-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase.
22: Folks, have you lost your power and wanted to simply flip a switch to get the lights back on? If so, this is going to be the most important message you'll ever hear, because there's never been a better time to get ready for the winter power outages ahead. Here's why solar power generators are now available from our friends at solutions from science one of our oldest sponsors their emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical power when you need it most unlike gas generators a solar generator runs quietly emits no fumes and produces electricity from the sun it's like having an electric power plant running quietly in your own home whether it's ice storms brownouts or blackouts you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again When the power goes out this winter, you'll be ready with a solar-powered generator from Solutions from Science. Go to mysolarbackup.com for more information. That's mysolarbackup.com or call 877-327-0365. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the PowerCast.
1: I'm not counting the number of hosts, but he's talking about there because I think we're getting into weird stuff. You're in the cast with Gene and Chris and Nick Redfern, author of Keep Out, and you were in the middle of an interesting discussion. Let's continue.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nobody doubts the existence of many of these places. The big problem is, you know, that unless you're in the know so to speak there's just no way to access them and um, with everything undertaken in deep secrecy it's no wonder that you know we get as many truths as we do legends and stories and tales come out of them you know so i think in that respect this is what makes it difficult to really get to the heart of the issue and why you know in the book i address all the different theories because it would be I'd basically be lying if i was to say they are aliens stored at Area 51. Yeah, I might sell, you know, 10,000 more books, but by doing so, I'd be cheating myself. You know, I've got to point out to people that the UFO stories could be a cover for military activity, and there could be as many mind games going on as there is legitimate leaks of data, you know, and and I think we need to be, we need to investigate these places, we need to study them, but we need to be grounded as well,
2: uh, blabby boy has uh, some more questions here if you're if you're interested uh, here 's an interesting one. Is there a worldwide top five list of secret regions that has changed over time as populations have migrated and expanded i e places that might once have been I- an ideal location or no longer as viable due to encroaching populations? Is Australia or Africa or perhaps Antarctica the preferred locations at the moment? Any indications of uh, some of these uh, super remote areas on the planet uh, having locations?
7: Well, That's actually a good question. I mean, I think, you know, it's difficult to know. I mean, you know, if there are secret locations there, and we don't know about them. That's, that's because they're still secret. But I think, you know, pl- certainly places like Pine Gap, you know, the, the geography and the sort of regional distribution of Australia... Pine Gap's never going to be a place that's going to be, you know, surrounded by cities or whatever. It's just not going to happen. And so, in other words, governments actually don't need to place their installations in, you know, remote fortresses, so to speak. I mean, you know, a lot of people think Area 51, you know, you look at the Nevada Desert. People think Area 51 is buried in some remote part of the Nevada Desert. It actually isn't. It's only 90 miles from downtown Las Vegas. You know, you leave Las Vegas and put your foot down hard on the accelerator in theory, if you weren't stopped, you could be there within an hour. You know, 90 miles is no distance. But the problem is, you can only get within like 15 miles of the base before you start seeing security signs, and then the security goon squads will stop you and, you know, you face arrest, etc. So, in other words, bases don't need to be situated a thousand miles in the middle of a desert. You know, like with Area 51, they can be 90 miles from Vegas, and you still have no idea what's going on there.
2: That's a good answer for that. Here's another one. I'm guessing the book only covers a small list of locations worldwide. So does your research have an indicative number of possible known, unknown locations?
7: Well, you know, I I tried to, you know, cover the entire planet. I mean, obviously, there's stuff like, I mean, Area 51, Hangar 18, Dulce, you know, they're U.S., I mean, Bentwaters, London Underground, Rudlow Manor, that's um, England, Pine Gaps Australia. I actually talk even about um, sort of the Russian Area 51 or several so-called Russian Area 51s, if you like. And um, even the rumors about some sort of classified military facility on the far side of the moon kind of as some people have suggested like a clandestine space program you know that's running alongside but not with nasa
1: you know what maybe uh, it's, let's look at that for a moment the so-called alleged secret space program i mean yeah. we've had a couple of guests who come on the Powercast from time to time and they say hey what this public space program is just window dressing while yeah. we've been sort of winding it down or trying to funnel it off into private industry and maybe just sending space probes out there or sending out telescopes to look for ET four or 500 light-years away. We've had that secret space program going on all this time. We have bases on the moon, whatever. Mm-hmm. What's the story? What is the evidence for it?
7: Well, you know, I mean, this is, you know, this sort of two-pronged approach, you know, the idea that there's a the normally recognized space program of NASA, which is now... I don't think anybody doubts in decline. You know, when you've got a kind of ask the Russians if you can send an astronaut up on one of their craft, it's, you know, it's getting pretty bleak. But, you know, then does that mean, oh, we're just winding it down, period, or is there something sort of super secret going on, you know, behind the scenes? That's the big question. Now, what we do know for certain is that back in the late 50s, the U.S. Army initiated a very ambitious program called Project Horizon. The idea was to have some sort of, almost like a, a, like a North Pole or South Pole outpost on the Moon by 1965. And the plan was that this would be like a relatively rudimentary thing, you know, like the equivalence of maybe seven or eight 20-foot diameter igloos that would be connected by tunnels or cylinders or whatever. And that over time it would be added to and added to, where sort of 20 years down the line it would be a fairly sophisticated installation. And the Project Horizon files have now been declassified through the Freedom of Information Act. You can find them online, and they run to hundreds of pages and very extensive documents that talk about how, you know, water would be obtained and oxygen would be circulated. You know, So it goes into the very deep of the technological aspects of achieving a secret base on the on the moon and, and maintaining it and running it and, and ad- adding to its construction. Now, what's interesting is that the... Construction of the base, on the part of the military, which was going to be done totally outside of NASA, began by 1965. That was the plan to have the first parts of it up and running. Um, now, ostensibly, we're told that the program was cancelled for two reasons: one, budgets, and the other, technical capabilities or lack of capabilities back in the early to mid 60s. Now, everybody knows, you know, the first moon landing occurred in July 1969, um, but. Back in 65, which was the year when the military was planning to have this base up and running, um, we had the testimony of a man named Carl Wolf. Carl Wolf has gone on record, he does have a verifiable military background, uh, stating that um, in 65 he was exposed to um, a story while working on a, a NASA related program during the course of his Air Force employment where he was told that NASA had photographed on the far side of the moon in 65, some sort of what looked like a structured facility. NASA had no idea who built it or what it was. And of course, the first tendency is to think, well, it's got to be aliens because, you know, Armstrong and Aldrin hadn't even landed on the moon yet. This was four years later. Um... And maybe it is, maybe there is something there, maybe it is an alien installation. But on the other hand, when we find in this very year, 65, the military was planning to get some sort of, you know, small rudimentary base on the moon and then add to it, you know, time-wise it fits in with what the Project Horizon reports talk about. So, you know, could we actually be seeing evidence of some sort of clandestine um, space program, you know, in the testimony of Carl Wolf and the Project Horizon files? You know, I, I don't rule that out. And I think, you know, if you look at all the work that NASA has done over the years to just kind of, you know, throw it out the window and saying, you know, no more astronauts, no more space shuttle, no more nothing, basically. You know, that, that kind of just flies in the face of everything. And um, But what's interesting about the Project Horizon report is that the the reason for the construction of the base had less to do with advancing you know astronomical scientific revelations and more to do with militarizing space uh, which sadly is inevitable you know and not surprising at all so it wouldn't surprise me again if there is a secret space program but if there is I would suspect a fair percentage of it is based around militarizing space and you know and um, the strengthening the sort of the military capabilities rather than you know just a pure scientific approach.
2: Well, we also have the intriguing revelation that uh, our uh, our British hacker, Gary McKinnon, came up with about 155 off-planet naval officers, if, if memory serves me correct. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is that a smoking gun uh, piece of data? Or?
7: Yeah, I mean, McKinnon's story is an interesting one. I mean, Gary McKinnon, you know, you can look at – I mean, McKinnon, McKinnon's actions, you know, to me, were stupid. And he landed himself in the inevitable position – but he would have landed himself in. You know, it's like with me, if I when I do research, you know, I interview people and I go after freedom of information at files and things like that. But and I, I you can tell you what,
1: we have to go up into- to this. We have to look for this piece of information. Very, very critical importance. We have Nick Redfern. The book is called Keep Out with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
8: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN
22: Radio Network.
8: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies Paranormal activity and Florian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news. It's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. That's Mr. UFO at webtv.net find out what they don't want you to know
13: If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world, alkalizing the water you Drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision plasma pH drops at alkavision.com. That's A L K A Vision.com. Or call 269 409 1776. 269 409 1776. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at alkavision.com today.
19: Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call one 800 346 We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla
18: has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829. That's 800. 34, no tax.
22: Did you ever think you'd be where you are? A decade into the 21st century. Record foreclosure rates for homes, if not yours, your neighbors. Thankful for the unemployment check since you were laid off and placing your child's name on the angel tree in hopes of a Christmas gift along with thousands of other Americans. Did you ever think your future would feel this out of control? The fact is, in all this craziness, there's only one thing you can control. Your greatest dependency, your food supply. Make 2012 the year you take control by getting prepared. Foods Direct introduces the best way to build your food supply in the 21st century. Get a 21-day supply of food free with purchase. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Take back control in 2012. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Remember, you can bet your life on eFoodsDirect.
8: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast,
16: the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast with Nick Redfern. The book is called Keep Out.
7: The, the whole issue, you know, McKinnon is an interesting one. I mean, yes, he uncovered some intriguing material. He talked about, for example, reading files on what are described as non-terrestrial officers, which, you know, you can't get more to the point of that suggesting sort of like a, an off-planet fleet, almost, if you like, of, of personnel. You know, it's difficult to reconcile it in any other way. You know, particularly the fact that he that he hacked NASA, you know, and uh, and uncovered that material, the government for the most part hasn't commented on, you know, what these documents were or what that title or term means. They focus more on trying to prosecute McKinnon. Now, you know, a lot of people, you know, have different views on on McKinnon. Um, you know, some people view him as like a valiant crusader, other people view him as an idiot who was sort of you know, it was his own fault and inevitable that he would land himself in the position that he now finds himself. You know, I mean, I don't encourage anyone, and never would, to sort of hack the Pentagon because you're just asking for trouble. And for the most part, you're not going to find anything. The idea that you won't get caught, won't get found out, and won't get either jailed or attempted to be jailed in the process is ridiculous. You know, I I actually don't think it it sort of helps our cause. You know, it might sound great for some sort of techno-conspiracy thriller, But running around hacking the Pentagon, all that's going to do is get you landed in jail and hardly any information in the process. And I think for that reason, that's why, you know, McKinnon, within the UFO field, you know, he attracts champions and people who just think he's an idiot. For example, you know, you can find whole websites that sort of champion McKinnon's actions. Uh, Paul Kimball, a good friend of mine in Canada who runs Red Star Films and made a number of UFO films, Paul has no sympathy for McKinnon at all. And I think somebody like McKinnon attracts that kind of, you know, totally black and white scenario where one person takes this view and one takes another. But regardless of how we view McKinnon, there's absolutely, you know, the one thing we cannot take away from is that while looking for material on UFOs, and you know, NASA, NASA's involvement in such issues, he came across this list that mentioned these so-called non-terrestrial officers. And this is an area that while, as I said, what's, what's intriguing is that while the government has been quite vocal on its attempts to try and get McKinnon brought over from the UK to be prosecuted and jailed in the US, there's been no talk at all about what this term non-terrestrial officers means. You know, the emphasis has been on the fact that he hacked, not on the material that he said he found.
1: Chris, any more questions
2: left? Yeah, Angelo, um, of course, our healthily skeptical moderator, has an interesting question uh, that's news to me. Um, and he goes, I don't think I've ever heard Nick talk about his experience on Penn & Teller's show. I'd like to hear his thoughts on that. <laughs> you, you were on Penn & Teller?
7: Yeah, this is actually this has actually nothing to do with UFOs. It was about, oh, God, um, probably six, six, seven, maybe eight years ago now, I forget now, something like that. But it was certainly mid-2000s. It was actually a ghost hunting show. Um, uh, What happened was I got a call asking if I could, you know, appear on, if I was willing to appear on the show and, um, you know, go on a ghost hunting exercise. So we went out to a town in East Texas called Jefferson. Jefferson's an old town, a lot of history to it and a lot of haunted hotels and buildings and things like that. So we went out there and did like a nighttime ghost hunt, you know, and stalked out some of these haunted rooms. And I was there with a couple of other... Um, ghost hunters, you know, who had all this sort of equipment for checking temperatures and things like that. You know, I, I, by my own admission, I'm not a ghost hunter. You know, I'm not really qualified in those areas, other than the fact that I'm interested in the paranormal. So I kind of went along more as an observer. Um, and we did the investigation. You know, we we sort of checked out the haunted houses and interviewed different people and stuff like that. Um, a lot of people don't realise that. You know, with the, with the Penn and Teller show. Um, you know, I, I never got to meet Penn and Teller. What happens is, you know, the program's filmed, the footage is obtained, and then it's taken back to the studio, and then Penn and Teller watch it and offer their comments over the top later on. You know, you, you don't... You can't interact
1: with them. That kind of doesn't sound very hopeful.
7: Well, it's kind of like, you know, some documentaries. You know, if you're on a, a live TV show, you're there with the host right then. But you watch something like... Uh, UFO hunters, which is like reality-driven. You know, the, the three guys are there interviewing the people. Or if it's something like Ancient Aliens, you know, it's head and shoulders interviews and then like a voiceover. Penn and Teller's show is a bit different because you know you get the the footage, is the people are interviewed, and then Penn and Teller sit down and watch it and offer their views later. So. For me, I think I would have enjoyed it more had I had the chance to sort of sit down. We could have really got a heated debate going, you know, between the three of us. That would have been cool TV. But, you know, they said the filming with me was done in East Texas, and, um, and the filming with Penn and Teller was done wherever, you know, their respective homes are or studios or whatever. So, um, you know, you have no sort of inter- direct interaction with them.
1: I haven't watched the show, so I don't know.
7: Uh, actually, I've never watched the show because I don't have the channel. I haven't even watched the one I'm on because I don't have the channel on our TV that, that it's broadcast
2: on. So I, There's other questions, but we've, he's already answered them, basically. So that that was kind of the last question. All right,
1: from, okay, that was a fascinating bunch of questions there. And I think the best thing we can ask in the remaining couple of minutes is, Nick Redfern, if you had to do the book over again, are there other areas you could have added or maybe gotten the book larger?
7: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things is that, you know, people say to me, could you make the book bigger?" Well, yeah, I could, but contractually I'm limited to like 65,000 words. I, I contractually cannot make the books for new page longer than that. Um, but, you know, that's how it, how it works, you know. Um, but, yeah, there, there are other places I could have put in. Some of the stories, you know, certainly aren't chapter length. You know, I've heard stories where somebody's told me, for example, that, they were, uh, were aware of an alien body supposedly stored at Fort Dietrich in Maryland. But that's literally all they knew, you know. So there's a lot of stories where I have fragments of information that would, you know, make an interesting little couple of paragraphs. Um, so, you know, there's always scope and range to add things here and there. But I think, you know, what I tried to do with the book was cover the most significant ones, the most significant installations that I could come across with a UFO link. Um, You know, so in that sense, I'm sort of happy with the book, you know, in terms of what I covered. But, you know, it's like it's like a band, you know, releasing its latest album. They could always add one little bit more of guitar or whatever, you know. I think every every author thinks that there's something they'd like to add afterwards.
1: What do you think our listeners should take away from what you did with this book?
7: Um, Well, I would hope the one thing more than anything else I would hope they would take away from the book is a realization that, you know, literally all around, not just the US, but the world, there are literally dozens and dozens of secret facilities that when we dig into them, we find intriguing stories of links to UFOs. And they seem to be linked to alien bodies, crashed UFOs, back engineering and things like this. You know, they're they're not just sort of focusing around UFO sightings. And that's That's the interesting thing. And I think also take away the fact that, you know, profound secrets, wherever they might lead, are being hidden from us. And in some cases, ironically, buried just under our noses. You know, as I said, like with Area 51 just being 90 miles away from Vegas. You know, so I think I I would hope people sort of realize that, you know, as I said, Area 51 isn't the be-all and end-all Um, of secret installations that when you go looking for them, you can find them here, there, and everywhere.
1: And we can keep looking. So, Nick Redfern, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do and what you're up to in the future.
7: Okay. Uh, Well, they can find more at nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com. And as far as the future is concerned, I've got a book out in June, again through New Page Books, which is called The Pyramids and the Pentagon. And it's basically a study of what you might call... Indiana Jones type characters in the government. It uh, deals, for example, with government investigations of everything from Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, and also a lot of research and secret files generated on ancient astronaut authors and researchers claiming that the pyramids were built by uh, levitation. The government opened weird files. Um, or such like some weird subjects relative to all this.
1: I'll tell you um, that's got to be weird, got to be strange. We look forward to the new book, Chris O'Brien. Where can we find more of your stuff? Well, you can find me lurking about,
2: helping moderate forum.theparacast.com, dot com, and uh, as promised, we'll get the new planet dot com site up, and uh, it's
1: it's still there. It's chock full of good stuff. So uh, go visit. We will. If you have a comment or question about the show, write us, news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. Nick Redfern, thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast. Well,
7: thanks, guys. Thanks a
1: lot. Cool, Nick. Thank you.
0: The Paracast.